We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm conscious that we have people with us here this morning who maybe haven't been here for the the preceding weeks in this series. We're at the penultimate week of a short series where we've been actually been going through the whole Bible in seven weeks. It normally takes us about three or four hours each Sunday to to get, no, it's, it's more like 20 minutes or just over that. We're on our penultimate week. We'll finish next Sunday. Just to give you some idea of what we've been discovering together, we asked ourselves the question as we started out, does the Bible have an overall theme? Is there some way of understanding the Bible that works from page one right through to the end? And we said, yes, there is. There's an overarching theme in the Bible, and we discovered that it was the kingdom of God. Now, we've looked at that, and we've seen how that's developed over these last weeks. The Bible has an overarching theme in the kingdom of God, but the subject of the Bible, what the Bible is really all about, and who is in the very center, we discovered very powerfully last week. The Bible is all about Jesus. Last week, if you remember, we reached that point in the Bible, the start of the New Testament, the arrival, the teaching and preaching, the actions and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And suddenly, the whole thing came to life. The kingdom of God, we, we understood in a much more powerful way than we had. So that, that gives you some idea of, of what we've been talking about as a congregation here these last few weeks. This morning, we're going to look at, at a different phase. Life, living in between the times when Jesus first came and when Jesus will come again, that's what we're going to think about together here this morning. I want to begin by telling you about a a memory of my childhood, one that really warms my heart when I think of it. One of my lasting memories of childhood is to be around the house on one of those days when my mum was baking. I don't know if any of you have had this experience growing up in a house where there was baking done. If I was in the right place at the right time, I got to lick out the bowl And it didn't really matter to me what was in the bowl, what kind of a mix it was. If it had a wee bit of sugar in it or something sweet, I just wanted to lick it out. I think my very favorite was probably mix for chocolate cake. If I was in the right place at the right time, I got to lick out the bowl. And there I was with with this massive bowl, because they were quite big and I was quite small, and with a spoon in the other hand, and for a few minutes I was in heaven, just until until I'd got the very last of this mix out of the bowl. I can still remember, though, that there was always a a slightly dark side to all of this, because my mum, giving me the bowl, would often point to the thing that she'd actually made, the thing that she'd baked, and she said, you can eat that, but don't dare touch that until the, the meal or the party or whatever it is that she'd been baking for. So it was a funny sort of thing because for a few minutes it was all very exciting and and it was great because you're reading all this lovely stuff, but then the frustration kicked in because you knew how good this tasted and you just wanted more and you knew that you shouldn't take more. In a way, that's what it was like for Jesus' disciples. They had had a taste of the kingdom of God. 
They had seen, as Jesus lived among them, uh, they'd seen the, the miracles that he did and the things that he preached. It was a bit like licking out the bowl. It was brilliant. But now they were hungry for more. They wanted Jesus to make everything right, to make the whole world right, to get rid of inequality and injustice, to kick the Roman oppressors out. They were waiting for all of these things to happen. And we're a little bit disappointed whenever those things didn't happen. That's not how it worked out for the disciples. In some ways, although everything had changed, in some ways everything was still the same. The disciples really shouldn't have been surprised because Jesus had told them many times that he would leave this earth and that he would return after a delay. The kingdom of God wouldn't fully come until he returned. That's what he told them. So they shouldn't have been surprised. I want to talk for a second about these days in which we live. I'm going to ask you to, to think quite hard with me while I explain something here. The Bible would talk about the days in which we live as the last days. And it would talk about this period. That would be the period in which the New Testament letters were written. That was the last days. But we also are still living in the last days. Whenever the Bible speaks of the last days, it's talking about a period where two ages overlap. Okay, let me try and explain this to you. The present age is the period of human history up until the point when Jesus comes again. So it's from here to about here. That's the present age. Then the New Testament writers often talk about a time called the age to come. And the age to come is when the kingdom of God arrived on the scene. It started when Jesus arrived and was born on this earth. And it goes forever in this direction. Now, if you understood both of those ages, you'll see that there's an overlap in the middle. There's a period of time from when Jesus first came, when the present age is still running, until Jesus comes again, when the present age will end. That's the period in which we live, when the two ages overlap. Now, I'm sure I knew as I was preparing to talk about this that it would have entirely confused everyone. So I'm going to have to work at this a little bit. I want you to think of the kingdom of God as being already here because Jesus has come, but not yet fully here because Jesus hasn't come again. Already, but not yet. And still, I know of a lot more explaining to do. Maybe an illustration would help. On the 6th of June, 1944, something happened that will always be remembered on the world stage. It'll always be remembered as D-Day. The day when the Allied invasion of Normandy began. On that day, Allied forces gained a foothold into Europe on the Normandy beaches. And that foothold was one that gave them a place to stand and build towards the final victory in the war in Europe. So that was the 6th of June in 1944. D-Day might have been in June 1944, but VE Day, the day in which we celebrate final victory in Europe, wasn't until the 15th of May 1945, 347 days later, almost a year later, 
So there was a long period of time when lots and lots of fighting had to be done, when thousands of men lost their lives in bloody battle. And that, all of that happened after D-Day, after what's commonly recognized as the decisive victory of World War II happened. It's not a bad illustration for the times in which we live as Christian people today. D-Day has happened. Jesus Christ came into this world. He lived, died, and rose again. He's won the decisive victory. Satan is defeated. That is beyond doubt. But now we live in the period of time in between where the consequences of that victory are being extended, where the kingdom is growing and expanding. So we live, if you like, between D-Day and VE Day. We're waiting for the time when the final victory is experienced by all of God's people. All of this begs a question, certainly in my mind. Why does, why does God do it that way? Why does God not just, whenever, whenever Jesus came and, and won his victory, why didn't God just call that the end? Or why, for example, when a person comes to faith, why doesn't God just whisk them off to heaven to be with him? Why does God allow this period of time after enjoying all that Jesus has won for us, that we still live in this, this messed up and difficult world? Well, the reason is very clear, and the Bible is very clear about this. God has deliberately delayed the final and full coming of his kingdom so that more people get a chance to hear the message of Jesus and to respond to him. Friends, we live in that period. If we're the people of God, that exactly is our responsibility, to take the message of Jesus Christ and to share it with others, to invite more and more people into the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he was leaving this earth in Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He not only gave them that command, he also promised them something. He said, when you do that, I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus said, I'll be with you until this job is done. And of course, we know how it is that he's with his people. It's not Jesus physically among us anymore, but in the passage that we read earlier this morning from Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with his people by his Spirit. Jesus sends his Spirit on us so that we can proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to others. Whenever Jesus promised that he would send his spirit on the first Christians, they didn't have too long to wait. A couple of weeks ago was Pentecost Sunday. It was the Sunday we celebrated Christian aid here. And you'll remember we talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, how he came on power in power on a group of Christians in Jerusalem. One of the key things about that whole story of the first Pentecost is that those Christians, all simple people, mostly from Galilee, they ended up speaking lots and lots of different languages. And that's really important. It's symbolic 
of what God was calling them to do. God was calling these humble people, these simple believers, and telling them, you're going to take this news about Jesus to the whole world. That's why I've given you these languages, because that is your purpose as my people from here on in, to take the news of Jesus to the whole world. A moment ago, I I said that we are living in the last days, and often you would hear these days described as the age of the Spirit. And on the whole, I agree with that. This, This is the age when God works among His people by His Spirit. Jesus isn't physically among us anymore, but the Spirit of Jesus is on and in all of those who believe in Jesus. Among the the key ways in which the Holy Spirit works, there are three that seem to me to be very important. First of all, it's the Holy Spirit who brings us new life. Jesus himself said that we must be born again of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to come on us to give us a new life. The second way in which the Holy Spirit works in us is He gives us gifts or He equips us to do the work that God calls us to. And the third way is He changes us. He makes us holy. Because He's in us and at work in us, we become like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus. I want to think very briefly about how all of this fits in with what we've been thinking about these last weeks, the kingdom of God. What's happening in the kingdom of God in these days in which you and I live, these last days, this age of the Spirit? Is there anything going on in the kingdom of God? What about God's people? Do you remember we said God's kingdom is the place where God's people are in God's place under God's blessing and rule? What's going on these days with God's people? Well, last week, you'll remember that we said that Jesus called all those to follow him, and he said that they were the new people of God. People who trust Jesus Christ and follow him are the people of God. In his letter, the Apostle Peter writes to a Christian audience, and it's an audience made up almost entirely of non-Jewish people, and he does a thing that was, was very profound because he uses all the badges and all the labels that previously belonged only to Jewish people and he applied them to Christian people. He said, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Those were things that had only ever been said of Israel. And here Peter takes all those badges and he says, that's for anyone. They don't need to be a Jew. It's for anyone who trusts in and follows Jesus Christ. That's what Peter had to say. If you've ever read any of Paul's letters, one of the big themes in his letters is his teaching that you don't have to join the Jewish faith to be a member of the people of God. He says you don't need to do what they do with their food You don't need to follow their laws about special holidays and holy days. You must only come to God through Jesus Christ. Folks, I think it's really important that we grasp a little thing that's going on behind this. There is no institution, 
There's no ritual or tradition in the world that makes us acceptable to God. Not the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Being a member of the Presbyterian Church doesn't bring us into the people of God. Even going through the rituals of the Presbyterian Church doesn't make us right with God. It's very possible that somebody here this morning has been baptized as a child, has taken communion in the Presbyterian Church. Folks, none of that in and of itself ever makes us right with God. It's Jesus Christ. He is the only way for any one of us to enter into the new people of God. So that's God's people. What about God's place? Last week we discovered that Jesus was the true and new temple. He said, there's no way you can come to God except through me. Well, Jesus has returned to his Father in heaven. So where is, where is the temple now? Where is the place where God is most fully present? Well, the wonderful message of the New Testament is that it's in us. The New Testament teaches that an individual Christian person is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received through Christ. Isn't that brilliant? There are a lot of people sitting here this morning and God's Holy Spirit is in them because they have trusted Jesus Christ and because they have believed in him. Folks, the Holy Spirit is here and he's powerfully here this morning. The Holy Spirit's here in individual people, but he's also here among us collectively. In Ephesians, Paul describes the church, the church, Christian people together as a building, and he says this. He says, it's built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a temple in the Lord. Isn't that a brilliant image of the church? A building being built up in a place where God's Spirit dwells. You know, I've been amazed at how our church life here has developed and grown in these last months. And one question I have in the back of my mind is, what's God doing here? What's God's purpose in all of this? Well, there's one thing that's very clear to me. God's purpose here is the same as it is in any other church that he builds. He's building a temple in the middle of Valley Hackamore. A place where his spirit is. A place that if other people call in to visit, they have a sense of the reality and the power and the presence of God because his spirit's here. God's people in God's place. And finally, God's people under God's blessing and rule. I've talked about this before, how rule is a very negative thing in the modern world. We don't like to think of anybody ruling over us. The wonderful truth is that when we come under God's rule, we experience that only as freedom. It's a wonderful, wonderful freedom. Because of Jesus' death, we are forgiven. 
We don't carry guilt. We, we aren't paranoid as God's people. We, we are those who are free. We're not only forgiven for the sins that we've committed in the past, we're being changed and set free not to sin so much in the future. Friends, it's a, it's a wonderful new life that we're called to under God's blessing and rule. I want to spend the last couple of minutes with you this morning thinking about what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to live in these last days. First of all, I want to say Christians have so much to thank God for. We have been called into the new people of God. We're chosen. We're being made holy. We're dearly loved. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. A wonder is that our experience individually, but also as a community of God's people here. Is this a place that's beginning and growing and growing and growing in joy? No matter what's happening in our lives, no matter how hard we're working or how frustrating we find things, that there's a deep-rooted joy in us because God is among us. I hope so, and I pray so. We have much to be joyful for if we're the people of God. That's only half the story. Because of the world that we still live in, because the kingdom has already come, but not yet fully, we will always live with frustration while we live as Christians until Jesus comes again. We'll always suffer and we'll always know frustration in this world. I think one of the reasons why it's so frustrating to be a Christian is because we have tasted something better. We know, in part, the blessings of God. We know what it's like to be in close fellowship with God, but we don't know it completely. We don't know it throughout the whole of our lives. I'm thinking of a couple of examples. Our bodies aren't yet under the salvation of God fully. Our bodies haven't been, been brought right before God. If, if a person is a Christian, they're not exempt from the cold. They're not exempt from a broken leg. They're not exempt of failing eyesight or failing hearing. And they're not exempt from cancer. They're not exempt from any of these things. Because God's blessings and God's rule haven't yet fully been realized in this world. This world that we live in, it still hasn't realized fully all that God wants to do in it and through it. As long as we live in a world where, where people hate one another and kill one another, we will live with frustration as the people of God. Knowing that we live in the kingdom of God helps, but in some ways, I think it actually makes things more frustrating for us. Whenever U2 released their Joshua Tree album, in 1987, it very quickly became the biggest rock record of that year and one of the biggest of all time. And it was released at a time when there was a, a, a big debate going on in Christianity, certainly here in Ireland. And the debate was on the subject 
of whether or not these fellas were Christians, whether or not the three Irish members in particular of you two were Christians. So there were supporters and there were critics on both sides waiting eagerly to hear this new record when it came out. As they listened to the songs, when they heard the third song, the critics heard exactly what they wanted to hear. After they'd heard that song, they knew for sure that these guys weren't Christians. You broke the bonds, loosed the chains, carried the cross and my shame. You know I believe it. Those are the words that Bono sings. But then this line, after talking about all that God has done for him in Jesus Christ, he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. When the critics heard that, they heard all they wanted to hear. Here's a guy who has everything that Jesus Christ has to offer, and he still doesn't have enough. He's not a Christian. Let's write him off and leave him aside. 18 years later in my own life, I'm beginning to understand what, what he means. I found Jesus, but I have a growing restlessness in me. A growing discontent with who I am. But I'm still not fully or even nearly the man that God would love me to be. As I look at the world around me and I follow Jesus, I have a growing and a growing and a growing discontent with what I see. That thousands upon thousands are slaughtered in places like Darfur. That millions die in famine and hunger. That Ulster, where I live, is becoming a suicide capital in Western Europe. Friends, I'm following Jesus, but I have a growing hunger and desire for something more. I still haven't found what I'm looking for either. As I walk with God in my life on this earth, I'm beginning to understand that I'm like a little boy with a bowl and with a spoon. I'm eating a little, and it's great. I'm really enjoying it, and it's good. But it's all still ahead of me. The fullness and the reality and the power and the blessing of the kingdom of God is ahead of me. And for the time being, I just need to wait. I need to be content with, with my bowl and my spoon, knowing that the party and the celebration and the fullness will come. It'll come one day when Jesus comes again. And I sit with him at that party in heaven. Between now and then, I'll continue to do what Jesus taught me and you to do. I'll pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray.
Father God, we thank you for the times in which we live. We thank you that we know Jesus. Thank you that he has lived in our world and he has changed everything. Thank you that we can know this through your word and thank you that we can know the closeness of Jesus by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. But Lord, we pray that we would not be content. Lord, make us people who are grateful for all that we already have, but who hunger and thirst for the more of your kingdom that we don't yet have. Lord, give us a hunger and a homesickness for heaven. Lord, make us into people who take the love of Jesus as we have known it and enjoyed it and share it and share it and share it that others might know this too. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as in heaven. Amen.